church. Let's give Jesus all the praise. Come on, you can do better than that. Give a better praise. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, it's so good to be in church with you all today, and I just want to say welcome to church, everybody, and a big welcome to everyone who's with us online and everyone who's with us at our 430 campus. Come on, church. Help me say hello to everyone joining in. Thanks so much for being a part of our church family. And uh, my name's Caleb. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at City Hope. It's my honor to be able to spend some time with you all today. And before we jump into the message this morning, I just want to emphasize a couple of things that are going on uh, in church life, let you know kind of what's up and coming. And the first thing that I want to tell you about is Growth Track Step 1. We have Growth Track Step 1 taking place next Sunday. And if you don't know what Growth Track is, Growth Track is our way of teaching you more about our church. It helps you find out if this is a place that could feel like home to you. And we'll tell you everything about membership. And we'll also tell you about how you can become a part of our amazing dream team. Shout out to the dream team, everybody. Um, And our amazing dream team, if you don't know what that is, the dream team is the team of volunteers that makes all of this possible. I mean, they were here making coffee for you this morning and holding the doors for you and and the parking team and the kids team and so many teams that, that make it all happen. And if you're interested in being a part of our dream team, you can learn how to do that in the growth track. So we would love to see you there next Sunday. And then also we have water baptism going on next week. And I just want to celebrate that over this past month, we have had 32 water baptisms, everybody. Come on, give Jesus praise for that. That's so awesome. And uh, I'm hoping and believing that you're next, okay? Like you're going to take that next step. It's time to go public with your faith through water baptism. That's the next step. We would love to celebrate that moment with you next week at church. That'll be available after every service. And you don't have to sign up. You can just show up. We'll have a table in the lobby where uh, you can fill out a little bit of basic information, and we will also provide you with clothes, towels. I mean, everything that you could possibly need, we got you covered. And so we'd love to celebrate that with you next week. And um, the last thing that I want to tell you about is small group leader registration. Now, we just closed out our uh, spring small group semester, and yesterday, over the past couple of days, we had our Freedom Conference. Where's all the Freedom people at? Yeah. And so... If you're wondering what all this, you know, shouting is, these are the people who went through our Freedom small group, and um, it's really one of the only small groups that we recommend everybody go through at some point, and it concluded yesterday with, uh, with a, an amazing conference, but right now we're opening up registration for our summer small group semester for those of you who want to lead a group, and you can find information and register your group through cityhopefamily.com slash smallgroups and get more information on that. But I just want you to know, I know it can be a scary step to take that step in leading a group, um, but you'll grow like never before. And also, I just want you to know that we have available for you training, and we will provide you with a coach who will walk alongside of you, who will be available for for you to talk about things that you need throughout the semester. So we're not going to just throw you to the wolves. We're going to help you out with it, okay? And so I I would love for you to lead a group this upcoming summer semester. It's going to be a great semester, everybody. But today, we're going to jump into the message. We're in part three of the series that we've been in called The Second Coming. And we've been talking about the return of Jesus Christ, that he is coming again in what we call the rapture of 
the church. And uh, we've been talking about that. We've been, dis- we've been studying through the book of Revelation, and Pastor Ben has done a great job. And a lot of times when churches talk about the topic of the end times and Jesus coming back, a lot of times it's kind of a, a scary thing. But like what we've been learning is that it's not a horror story. It's actually a love story. Like It's not anything to be scared of. It's something to be excited about, something that we're looking forward to. And so last week, Pastor Ben... He covered the entire book of Revelation in one message, and he did a great job on that. And I don't know, that's pretty impressive to be able to see that on the Apple Podcast app, where you can't see it, but you can listen to it. Uh, You can see it on YouTube, and you can also see that on our social media if you missed it. Uh, We'd love for you to hear that message. But today, we're going to be talking uh, through Revelation chapter 3, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And what what the message is all about today is that we are, the church is is known as the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, what must we do, knowing that we're going to see Jesus face to face one of these days, what must we be doing to prepare, preparing for that day? And so what you're going to see is that through Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, John is writing the words of Jesus. Jesus appeared to John, and he he begins to write the words of Jesus in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And what he's doing is he's giving encouragement, but he's also giving some correction to the churches, the seven churches that we're going to cover. And they are the seven churches in seven different locations throughout what is modern-day Turkey. And although these were written specifically to these churches, they're still principles that we can use in our lives today. There are eternal principles. There are timeless principles that we need to take into consideration as we prepare to meet Jesus face to face. So um, what we see is that in a very real way, as the church, we are the bride of Christ. Now, I know that might be weird for some of you guys, right? Like you're like, I ain't, I ain't a bride. Like, what are you talking about? Now, I'm not talking about you are a bride, but the Bible uses this imagery to show that the church is the bride of Christ. And we see it in Revelation 19. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Notice there's, there's not mourning, there's not sorrow. It's not like, uh, you know, fire and, and earthquakes and boom, like everything, destruction, like a horror story. He's saying, let us rejoice. Let us be glad. Why? Because the wedding of the lamb has come. Like the time has come when we're going to see Jesus face to face and his bride has, been, has made herself ready. The bride is ready. So let us rejoice over the fact that the bride of Christ, the church, has made herself ready to meet Jesus. And so I don't know if you have been to a wedding lately, but nowadays weddings are a big deal. Like for all you dads in the room who got little girls, they're a big deal, everybody. Like they got the whole nine yards now. There's the videographers, there's the photographers, there's the makeup artists, there's coordinators, there's cooks. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. In fact, I was doing research on this and found, get, get ready for this dads, get your checkbook ready because the average wedding people spend an an average of $30,000 on a wedding. That's a lot of money, everybody. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. That's a lot of money. And I'll never forget my wedding, mine and Danielle's wedding, um, that we got married in Florida at a place called Sowell Farms. And it wasn't my Sowell's, um, although I wish it was because it was a pretty sweet place, right? But 
called Sowell Farms, and uh, I'll never forget that wedding. We got married in the, in the middle of COVID-19, everybody, in 2020. We had a COVID wedding, and maybe some of y'all out there are with me, but I think wedding planning is probably stressful as it is, but this just made it even more stressful because it's like one day we're, we only can have 20 people, the next day we can have 200. Oh, wait, no, now it's 50. Oh, wait, now it's 10. Oh, wait, you got to wear a mask in your wedding pictures. Oh, wait, never mind, you don't. Uh, I mean, it was just like stressful. It made it difficult to plan a wedding. But there's so much time, there's so much energy, there's so much effort, so much money goes into these weddings. And really, if we get down to it, like what's a wedding all about? It's about that, about 10 minute period where the man and the woman, they make a a covenant. They, They make a commitment, a covenant to each other and to God to be together for the rest of their lives. That's what it's all about. That's what it all boils down to. In fact, I, I even tried to get Danielle, like, it was, it was kind of stressful. I was like, let's just elope. Let's just go get married, and then we'll celebrate later. And she wasn't going for it, so I, we didn't get to do that. But we had an amazing wedding. It was an amazing day. Um, but it, that's what it all boils down to, is that about 10, 15-minute period, right? And, and so, like, maybe some of you dads are asking this question, like, why all the fuss? Why the big deal? Why all the money? Why all the effort? Why all the energy? Like, why, why go all out? Why all this stuff for, for a 10-minute ceremony, right? Like, why all this stuff? And it's really simple. It's because the bride, she wants to be ready. She wants to make sure that she is ready to go and that she is flawless the moment she walks down that aisle. She wants everything to be perfect. She wants everything to be ready for that moment when she walks down the aisle and she meets her groom on the other end of the aisle. And so in the same way as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And we want to make sure that we are ready for the moment that we meet Jesus face to face. And so we're going to go ahead and dive into into this today in in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. There's seven churches. Now, I want you to know this is going to be an information content heavy message, but I'm praying that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would be inspired, that it wouldn't just be information to you, but it would be inspiration to you, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you throughout this message today. And just so you know, we're really just going to be able to kind of scratch the surface on, on each of these churches because there's so much detail. There's so much content in each one of these churches that we could probably do an entire series on on just these two chapters, but we're going to scratch the surface of that today. And if you want more information, I would really encourage you to take a deep dive on your own to go home and, and dig into these chapters this week. But let's go ahead and look at the first church. And the first church that he addresses is the church of Ephesus. By the way, we have notes for you in the worship guide. And so if you'd like to fill in the blank as we go, you can get those out now and, and write these down. And this is the first one. But what he tells the church at Ephesus is that they need to return to their first love. He says it's time to return to your first love. And he says it in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 4. He says, I hold this against you. By the way, on on every one of the verses we're going to look at, we're mostly looking at the correction pieces. But before the correction, he gives all of them encouragement. So he starts out with, hey, you're doing these things really good, but this is something that you need to work on. And so we're going to look at what they're working on. He says, I hold this against you, that you have forsaken your first love. Like you've you've fallen from your first love. And he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. In other words, what he's saying is, "Remember, remember how close you used to be to God, how passionate you used to be about God, how you were so on fire about God, and then realize how far you've fallen away from that. And he says, repent and do the things that you did at first. Repent 
Get back on track. You may be going off course and, and going into this passionless spirituality, but he says you can course correct. You can repent and do the things you did at first. Return to your first love. And he says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, that doesn't sound good, but really what it means, what he's saying is in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, the lampstand was symbolic of the presence of God. It was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is that you've, you've, you've drifted. You, your passion has faded. The fire has dwindled out. What was once warm has become cold. You've fallen away from your first love, and it's time to come back. And if you do not remove my presence, I'll remove my spirit. And now, I don't know about you, but I need God's power in my life. I need the presence of God. I need the spirit of God in my life. And so I'll never forget, like, when I decided to go all into my relationship with God. I was raised in the church, and I had a lot of head knowledge about God. But when I was about 16 or 17 years old, I decided, like, hey, I'm going all in. Like, I'm going to go all in to this relationship with God. And I was called into the ministry, and I'll never forget those days. It was like, it was like when you first date your wife, you know, for the first time, and you're so excited and you're so passionate about the relationship. It was kind of like that. It was like I was so passionate about God. Like I read my Bible every single day and, and, and I was listening to worship music all the time and I was at church all the time and I couldn't serve enough or go to small group enough or pray enough. And it wasn't from a place of duty, but it was desire. Like I wanted to do it because I was on fire. And that often happens in the first phase when people come into a new relationship with God. It's new and it's exciting. And maybe you've been in that place before. Maybe you're in that season right now. But something can happen is that over time in our relationship with God, if we're not careful, the fire will begin to dwindle. The passion will begin to fade. And maybe that's where you are today is that your passion has faded. But that's okay because Jesus is here today and he said, hey, come back. Return to your first love. Come back to me. Be passionate about me. Set the fire. Feed the fire. Come back to me today. And he's not mad at you. He's not condemning at you, but he's gently calling you back on track. He's saying, come back today. So I want you to know today that it's not too late for you to return to your first love. Amen? Yeah. All right. Let's go to the second church. The second church is Smyrna is the name of this church. And he tells them the correction he gives is for them to remain faithful. So stay faithful. And so what he tells them here is that there's some tough things coming. There's some tough times coming. He says, don't be afraid of what you're going to suffer because the devil is going to put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Can I tell you, church, sometimes things are going to get tough. Sometimes things are going to be hard. Sometimes the devil is going to tempt you. Sometimes the devil is going to test you and you're going to face some difficult things in life. But what he says is even when those things come, be faithful. Stay faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. So he's saying don't throw in the towel. Don't give in. Don't give up. Even when things get difficult, even when things get challenging, don't give up. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Oh, come on. Look at the other one and say it like you mean it. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I realize that maybe some of you today, you came into the room and, and you're facing some really difficult things. Maybe you're going through one of the toughest seasons of your life. And Jesus is here today to tell you, hey, don't give up. 
Stay faithful. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give in. I know it's difficult right now, but if you'll just keep pressing, if you'll keep moving forward, if you'll keep going forward, you will receive the crown of life. What is the crown of life? It's eternity. It's heaven that we are not working for an earthly crown. We're not working for for anything here on this earth, but that one day we're going to step into heaven and there's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more addiction. There's going to be none of that. We're going to be free when we receive the crown of life if we will remain faithful. So don't give up, church. Don't give up. And so when he's writing to the church of Smyrna, this idea of the crown of life makes a lot of sense to them because this city is known for their athletic games. And the winners of these games that they would compete in, they would win what was called a victory wreath. And it looked kind of like a crown. And they would wear that. And that meant that they were the winner, that they had completed, that they, they, were, they were finishing. And so he's saying, you're going to win the crown of life. So this imagery made a lot of sense to them, but we see it again in the book of James chapter 1, verse 12, that blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. We could say blessed is the one who stays faithful even when things get difficult because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Can I tell you, we're not competing for anything earthly. We're not competing for a crown on this earth, but we're competing for the crown of life. We're moving forward to make it into heaven. And one of these days, we're going to step into eternity and we're going to be finally free. We're going to win our prize. We're going to win our reward if we will stay faithful. Amen, church? Amen. All right, let's look at the third church and Again, I realize we're, we're moving kind of fast. It's a lot of content. There's seven different, seven different churches that we're going to look at today. And the third church is Pergamum, and he tells them to reject doctrinal extremes. And what doctrine really is, plain and simple, is doctrine is your theology, your belief systems, your belief about God. And so here's what he tells them. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold on to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. And so what he's telling them here is there's some people in your camp, there's some people in your church here who they bought into and they've taken hold of some bad theology, some wrong theology, and they're living their life by this. And basically... What the teaching of Balaam was is something that still exists today, and today we would call it hyper-grace. Basically, the idea of it is that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live because of grace. Grace The Bible does say grace covers a multitude of sin, but this hyper-grace teaching takes it an extent further where it says that there's no spiritual consequence for what you do, that it doesn't really matter what you do, that you can do whatever you want because of grace, okay? And that's why... They were doing these things. They had bought into this teaching that it didn't really matter how they behaved and it really didn't matter about how they lived. And so they began to eat food that was sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. They're living in sin, but they were saying, oh, it's all good. God doesn't care because they bought into bad theology. And so what, what he's saying to this church is he's saying, hey, be careful not to buy into these, these doctrinal extremes. This bad teaching, this bad theology. And so if this one is hyper-grace, there's another group inside this church who bought, bought into another teaching. And it was from a group of people called the Nicolaitans. 
And the, where the other one was hyper grace, this group of people, it was legalism. And it was all about truth. And it was all about, like, if you're not perfect and if you don't live to the letter of the law, like, perfectly, like, you're going straight to hell. Like, there's no room for grace. There's no room for mistake. It's like if you wear the wrong kind of clothes and if you listen to the wrong kind of music, like, hey, you're going to hell, everybody. Like, legalism. And that, both of these extremes sadly still exist in the church today. There's many, many people who have bought into these ideas and they, they, they're living their life by them. But something that I think is amazing is that the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us that Jesus came to this earth full of grace and truth. See, there's a little bit of both. Like, there's a little bit of truth to each one of these ideas. It's just they're taking it too far with the extreme. Because Jesus came to the earth with both. He came with grace and truth. And so, in the same way, we need to not buy into the extreme doctrines. We need to buy into the doctrine of Jesus. Because grace invites us to the truth. But then the truth sets us free. So, if I don't have grace... I'm not going to come to the truth. That's why, that's why the world gets so upset when they see people on the corner picketing, holding signs, saying, you're going to hell, you're going to burn. That's not grace. It's so much truth that it pushes people away. And so they're not going to come to the truth. But then if I'm all grace, then I can't find freedom because there's no truth. And so I need them both. But together they make good medicine. And so we need both of them together. And Jesus shows us this in John chapter 8. The story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And it goes like this. The teachers and the Pharisees, the leaders, uh, the religious leaders of the day, they, they, they found this lady and they brought her to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. And it says she was caught in the very act of adultery. And by the way, I, I, just, I was telling Danielle last night, I was like, how, how did they catch her? Like, were they, were they peeping toms? Like, what were, what were they doing? Like, how did, like, I'm just saying, like, you know, nobody's perfect, you know, so even though they thought they were, but. And so they said, we caught her in the very act, Jesus. And they said, the law of Moses says that she be stoned, not with marijuana, but with rocks, like killed. <laughs> the law says we should kill her. We should stone her. And, and um, what do you say we do, Jesus? What do you think we should do with her? They were trying to trap her. They were trying to, they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to catch him to get him to go against the law so that they could have a reason to, to come against him. What do you say, Jesus? And he does something so amazing and countercultural. He says, I think the person that's here that has never, ever sinned should be the first one to throw the rock at her. And one by one, they began to drop the stones and walk away. And in this moment, Jesus looks to the lady, and I can just see it in my mind that she's knelt down, and Jesus is standing there, and he has all power and all authority. And he shows her both grace and truth. He says, he says, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. They're all gone. And, here, and he says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. He says, you're not condemned. Neither do I condemn you. Grace. And he says, but now go and live your life free of sin. Go and sin no more. That's truth. So he gives her both grace and truth. He, he says, hey, I love you so much that I'm not going to condemn you, but I also love you so much that I'm not going to leave you here. You need to change your life. You need to do things a little bit different. And so we need to buy into the doctrine of Jesus, which is both grace and truth, because together they make good medicine. Amen? 
Awesome. Let's go to the next one. The fourth church is the church in Thyatira, and he tells them to remove impurity, get rid of impurity. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And by her teaching, she misleads, another version says she seduces my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of foods that are sacrificed to idols. Now, what he's saying here is he's, he's really focusing on the root, which is the, the doctrine of Jezebel. And if you don't know who Jezebel is, she was um, in the book of Kings in the Old Testament. And the name Jezebel actually, like most of us know that term, like, oh, she's a Jezebel, you know, and you know what they're saying, right? But the name Jezebel actually means pure and virtuous. Like that's the actual original meaning of it. But yet Jezebel was one of the most ungodly, idolatrous, wicked, evil women in the Bible. Yet her name meant that she was pure and that she was virtuous. She was called pure and virtuous, yet she was the total opposite. And so what the doctrine of Jezebel does, the teaching of Jezebel always does, is it takes something that's evil and it names it as good. It takes something that's wicked and puts it in a light as though it is good. And it's deceiving. And by the way, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in a way, lived like this. That's why Jesus told them that they were like whitewashed tombs. He told them they were beautiful on the outside, but full of death on the inside. And so what this doctrine does is is it names evil and wicked things as good. And there's so many things going on in our society today where many people are, are living their life in evil, wicked ways, but they're naming it as good. And this isn't a message of condemnation in any way, it's a, but I am going to share the truth in love. But there's many people who buy into this. They buy into, I'm going to live my life this way because I was born this way, and this is who I am. And it's almost like a good thing that I'm being so bold as to say that. But can I tell you the truth, like, just to be really honest, like, about that whole statement of, like, I was born this way? The truth is, is like, we were all born this way. And some of you may be like, whoa, what are you talking about, Pastor Caleb? The Bible says that we were all born into sin. We were all born into sin. Like, I was born selfish. I was born full of pride. I was born full of lustful desires, like evil, wicked things. I was, I was, I was born. Nobody had to teach me how to lie. Nobody had to teach me how to be selfish. I was born into sin. We all were. No matter what you may be facing, we were all born into sin. And that's why Jesus tells us that we have to be born again. That until until we're born again, we won't be able to see the kingdom of heaven. And that's how we remove the impurity is that we be born again. We be born not of the flesh, but of the spirit, by the spirit of God. And what does that mean? That means that I'm giving my life to Christ, that I'm going to be born again. I'm going to commit my life to Jesus, and I'm going to be born again. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to let my theology gravitate towards my behavior. I'm going to let my behavior gravitate to my theology. And so what that means is there's a lot of people who they change their belief system based on what they want to do, when really we ought to be changing what we do based on our belief system or based on our foundation, which is the Word of God. The Bible should be our foundation for our belief system, and then that should, that should dictate the way we live our lives. Amen, everybody? Are you all with me? Does that make sense? 
All right, let's go to the next one. Number five is the church in Sardis, and we're going to talk a little bit deeper on this one next week. But to the church of Sardis, he tells them to renew their purpose. And now we're in chapter 3, verse 2, and he tells them, he says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. And so what he's telling them is that there's some of you who you've fallen asleep. Spiritually, you've fallen asleep. You've drifted to sleep. And and because of that, because of this spiritual lethargy, your work is incomplete. The purpose that God has given to you is incomplete. It's unfinished. And so he's saying, wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to get your head in the game. It's time to live out your purpose. It's time to live out your destiny and work. The Bible says that we must work while it is day because night is coming. And and when night gets here, no man will be able to work. So we have to work while we still can, while we still have time. And I know maybe there's many of you here today who you say, Caleb, you don't know me. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know what all I've done. How could God ever use me? And I want you to know today that as long as there's still breath in your lungs, as long as your heart is still beating, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a destiny for you. It's not too late. God still has a plan for your life. He has a purpose. He has, he has a work for you. He has a work for you to complete. And it's not too late for you to step into that. And so one of the ways that we help you do that is through Growth Track. I talked about that a little bit earlier. So we come alongside you and we help you discover, if you don't know what they are, we help you discover what those spiritual gifts are. What the, the, the purpose, the God-given purpose in your life. And we would love to do that next week in the growth track. But you can begin that next week. Wake up. It's time to get to work. It's time to live out your purpose. It's time to walk in the calling that God has for you. And, and the two most important days in your life were the day that you were born and the day you found out why. The first one's already happened. The second one may or may not have. But we, if it hasn't, we want to come alongside you and help you experience the, the second best day of your life to help you find out the reason why you were put on this earth, what the purpose and what the plan is that God has for you. And so the sixth church is the church in Philadelphia. And this is the only church that he gives no correction to. He tells them, hey, you know, you're doing a good job. You're ready to go. I've seen your deeds. You're doing awesome. But he tells them, I want you to continue to revere the word of God. He says, I see that you've kept my teachings, you've honored my word, and I want you to hold on a little while longer and keep on doing it. And maybe there's some of you today that you're getting tired and you're getting weary from fighting the good fight and from staying, but I just want to tell you today, hold on. Just hold on a little bit longer. Revere the word of God. Hide it in your heart. Keep doing what you're doing. And one of the best things is if we're a bride getting ready for the groom, the return of Christ, as a church, one of the best tools that we can have is God's Word. Because we just got out of a a series called the Holy Bible. And in that series, one of the ideas that we covered was about how God's Word is like a mirror. This is in Scripture. God's Word is like a mirror. Because you look in a mirror and you see, oh, I need to fix that hair, I need to shave, or you you see the things that you need to fix about yourself in the mirror. In the same way, God's Word is a reflection of our lives. And it shows us the areas in our lives that we need to fix, the areas that we need to correct, the the areas that we need to grow. 
And so we need to use God's word to get ready. Could you imagine a bride on her wedding day not using a mirror? Like, oh, I got you a mirror. No, I don't need a mirror. No, she's going to be all up in that mirror. She's going to be making sure every zit is covered. She got the contour lines and she got the, the hair fixed and, you know, the makeup lines, everything just right. Because she wants to look flawless when she walks down that aisle. She wants to be ready to look good. So she's going to be all up in that mirror. But yet, a lot of times as the church, we reject the mirror. We say, why do I need that? I don't, I don't need to use that. Can I tell you today, church, we need God's word in our lives. We need to love God's word, to learn God's word, to hide it into our heart so that we won't sin against him. And finally, we, we need to live God's word. We need to live it out because it, God's word is a book. It's a guide that he left for us to help us get ready, to help us be prepared for the day when we are going to meet him. So we're going to use God's word because there's a lot of people in the world who they're trying to they're trying to deconstruct God's word and they're trying to make you think that you can't count on it or that you can't trust it and that it's not relevant, but it, it is relevant. It is timeless. You can count on God's word. You can trust God's word. It is a firm foundation which you can build your life on. Amen? Amen. Awesome. And let's go to the, the, the final one right here, number seven. And this is the church in Laodicea. And he tells the church in Laodicea to repent of lukewarmness. And really what we mean by, by lukewarmness, if you're not familiar with this phrase, is complacency. It's basically like, oh, I'm good enough. Like, I, I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. I don't need no more. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm kind of riding the fence. One foot in the door and then one foot out. Like, I got one foot in relationship with God and one foot in the world. Like, I'm not really fully committed. I'm in between. I'm lukewarm. And what he tells them here in verse 15 is he says, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. Like, you're not on fire for me. You're not super passionate about me. But you're also just like, you're also not completely lost. Like, you're in the middle. You're lukewarm. And he says, I wish that you were either one or the other. I wish that you were either all in or all out. Because this riding the fence stuff, it's just not working. So I really wish you were all in or all out. And so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, he says. That's pretty bold words. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I know I don't want that to happen. I don't really fully, like... I don't have like a theological breakdown for you on what spit you out means, but it don't sound good. And like, I don't want to experience it. So he says, you say I'm rich, that I've, I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. Because of this, you become lukewarm. And I think this is a message, especially to the church in America today says, you've acquired wealth, you become rich, and, and you think you don't need anything. You think that you don't need me. And I think this is such a message for us because most of us in this room today, like, we're, we're not worried about what we're going to eat for lunch. You might be thinking about what you're going to go eat, but you ain't worried about if you're going to get it or not. Like, you might be thinking, like, hey, I'm ready to go to El Tapatio. I wish he'd wrap it up, but like... <laughs> 
you know you got money in your pocket to pay for it. That's what I'm saying. You're not worried about your kids starving to death tonight. You're not fully reliant on God for your day-to-day needs is what I'm really trying to say. And because of that, you've grown lukewarm. Some of us. I'm not saying all of you, but some of us. We've grown lukewarm because we're not dependent on God. At least we don't think that we are. And you might say, Caleb, you don't know what you're talking about. I ain't got no money. I'm poor. I'm broke. You can see my bank account. I was doing some research getting ready for this message, and one of the things that I learned was that if you have a household income, like both you and your spouse's total income combined is a, is a minimum of, of $34,000, which some people wouldn't think that's a lot of money, but just $34,000. If your household income is $34,000, that you fall in the category of the top 1% richest people in the world because that's how much poverty there is out there. That's how bad it really is. Like, you may not think your house is very nice, but like, all you need to do is go with Pastor Derek on a mission trip and you'll see how good you really have it. That there's people living under tarps and tents and they would be honored to live in your house. Can I tell you like, we are wealthy. We are rich. Even poor people here are rich compared to a lot of people in the world. And because of that, because of our lack of need day to day on God, it's easy for us to become lukewarm. Have you ever noticed how like when you need God, like how on fire you are for it? But then when you don't really need him that much, it's just kind of eh. But like if you need God to come through, like you're praying more, you're reading the Bible more, you listening to that message, you taking notes, I mean, you're, you're on fire when you need God. Like, kind of a funny story. Me and Gary went to Memphis last week and uh, we were flying to Memphis and we get into Memphis and we're getting ready to land the plane and like me and Gary sitting there and all of a sudden the plane just like, like it just drops and like I almost lost my lunch. I don't do good with roller coasters if you don't know me. Like I almost lost it. And then like my heart's beating, Gary's sitting here laughing at me. And then the plane ride, like it starts to get really bumpy. Like we're coming in hot, like we about to land and everything's all shaking. And I'm like, I thought I was gonna die. I was like, okay. And I don't know if Gary heard me, but like I was on the window seat and I was like, dear Lord Jesus, please keep us safe. Please don't let us crash this plane. Like I hope there's air in the tires and every shock is good and every bolt is tight, God in Jesus name. Like I was praying up a storm over there cause I had no control. I needed God to keep me safe. What I'm trying to say is when you need God, you're on fire. You ain't lukewarm when you're about to crash a plane, everybody. Like you pray. But we become lukewarm because we convinced ourselves that we don't need God. And he says, but you do not realize. I got good news for you, everybody. You just don't know it yet. You do not realize that you are wretched. That's the good news, by the way. You're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind and naked. I'm wretched because I'm lost without Jesus. I need him to save me. I'm doomed to an eternity away from him without him. I'm pitiful. I'm poor. I have no joy. I have no hope. I have no peace without him. I'm blind. I'm lost in spiritual darkness and I cannot see the light. I can't see the truth. I'm vulnerable. I'm naked without Jesus. 
I need Jesus. You need Jesus. There's just some of us who don't realize it because we become lukewarm. You might say, why is that good news? It's good news because if I wasn't any of these things, then why would I need God? But we do. And our weakness shows his power at work in us and in our lives. And it, it allows us to have relationship with him. Some of us just don't realize that today. You know, in, in countries like the countries in the 1040 window, where churches and the Christians there, possibly some today, they're being put in prison. They're being rejected from their families. Some of them literally being beheaded because of their faith in Christ. Statistics show us an average 13 Christians are martyred a day. But you know what? In those countries, the gospel is actually growing faster than the population is growing. Because they know that they need God. They realize that they need Him for their next breath. And it's in America that we, we have to get on the platform and say, Hey guys, we need God. Like, I hope you know you really need Him. Like, we have to try to convince people how much we really do need God. Like, your heart's still beating because He's saying beat. You're still breathing because He's saying breathe. You're still living because of Him. So, what I'm trying to say today is, trying to get us to a place of realizing how broken and how lost we really are without Jesus. Lifestyle doesn't cover it up. It can't hide it. That's why you're still miserable on the inside. Even though everything looks good on paper and in your life, things are still miserable on the inside because you need God, because you need Jesus. So no matter where you are today, I want you to know that, that Jesus is here for you. And I realize this is a lot of information. There's a big difference between information and inspiration. That's why I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would inspire you today and speak to your heart today. But no matter where you may be today, Jesus is here. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He says, I knock at the door of your heart. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, hey, you may be lost, you may be lukewarm, you may have bought into some lies, but he's knocking at your door. And all you gotta do is open the door. And he says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. And we're not just talking about like a meal at El Tapatio. Like this is symbolic of relationship. That's why he had the last supper with the disciples. That was more than just a meal. It was about relationship. So he wants to come in. And he wants to have a relationship with you today. And he's knocking at the door of your heart. He's calling to you. He could beat the door down. But he don't, he don't operate like that. He don't move like that. He's a gentleman. So he's knocking. And he's calling your name. Not full of condemnation or hate, but full of love and compassion. He's calling your name. If you would just bow your heads with me. Close your eyes today. Because the truth is that there's coming a day where the doors of eternity are going to open wide. And Jesus is going to be at the end of the aisle. Every single one of us are going to meet him face to face. The question of the day is, will you be ready? And again, I know you've, you've taken in a lot of content in the past 35 minutes, but 
I want to give you a moment to reflect. And I want to just ask you this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What is he speaking to your heart right now? Maybe you're like the church in Philadelphia. Good to go. I would just say keep up the good work. But maybe, maybe you're like some of the other churches. You've fallen from your first love. You've lost your passion. You've lost your fervor. You've bought into some lies, the lies of the enemy. You're going off course. No matter where you, be to, where you may be today, God is knocking at the door of your heart. He's calling you. And all you have to do is open the door. Typically, we would do one call. Today, I want to do two different ones. And the first one is for those of you who maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you've begun to be lukewarm. You've lost your passion. The fire has dwindled. It's time to return to your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Like you'd say, I'm a believer, but I've just been kind of living this complacent, lukewarm Christianity. And today, my eyes have been opened and I want to go all in because I realize how much I really need God. And I want to go all in. If that's you today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you on the count of three, please lift your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Hands everywhere. I see you all. God sees you. He's proud of you and he loves you. Hey, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I confess that I've been living a lukewarm life. I've lost my passion. The fire has dwindled. And today, I'm coming home. I'm returning to my first love. I want to go all in to a relationship with you. So fill me today with passion, with purpose, and with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I'm yours, and you are mine, and I will live for you. I'm going to be radical, Jesus. I'm going to fulfill my purpose. I'm going to live the life you called me to live. I'm going to be bold. And I'm going to take my next steps. In Jesus' name. Amen. With your head still bowed, eyes still closed. One more. This is for those of you who fall into the category of cold. We talked about hot or cold. This is for those of you who are cold. Like you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you, do, maybe you don't really even know that much about all this church stuff and all this God stuff. And like, you just came today as a last ditch effort. Like you're searching for something. Maybe you don't really even know what you're looking for, but like you're looking for something. I want you to know today that Jesus is the answer. That he has everything that you could possibly need. He loves you. And he's here today with his arms open wide for you. And if you want to open that door, he's knocking at that door. And if you want to open the door to begin a relationship with Jesus today, I want to lead you to that place. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to call you to the front. None of those things. But you got to make the decision. So here in a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to lift your hands. Lift your hands. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We're going to celebrate your new life in Christ. So with no one looking around, please, if that's you, you feel the weight of your sin, 
you feel the weight and the guilt and the condemnation and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. You're tired of life being the way it is and you need a new start. You need a fresh beginning. That's you today. On the count of three, please lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Anyone else? I see you. I see you in the top. I see you. Thank you. Anyone else? Hey, God is proud of you all. He loves you. He's smiling down on you today. Please know that he's not mad at you, but his arms are open wide with nothing but love. Awesome. Help me pray this, church. Say this. Say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you. I'm lost without you, Jesus. I'm hopeless without you. So today, I'm admitting my need for you. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you died on the cross, and you rose again on the third day to set me free. And I step into that freedom today. So I confess my sins to you, Jesus. And I confess you, Jesus, as Lord of my life. I surrender all. All that I am is yours. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to live out the calling that you have on my life for the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give Jesus all the praise.